Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and is currently desperately trying to find ways of seasonally adjusting a certain result yesterday. I'm Kevin Day and down there in Sussex trying desperately not to smirk behind his mask is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you this morning? I'm I'm good, Kevin. Uh, I've, I've got a ticket for Brighton versus Sheffield United, so it, I'm genuinely giddy. Uh, you know the prospect of seeing football. I, I thought I was going to be quite cynical about it, but um, yeah, I'm like a I'm like a kid on Christmas Eve night now. Yeah, I'm, I'm delighted for you. It's not only not only are you now two tears below me that I had to get up at quarter past eight this morning on Sunday morning. I have to, to record this pod just so you can go and watch Lincoln Brighton play. I'm a, I'm a living saint, Kieran. You know that. And this, you are indeed. And this National is, treasure. National this, treasure status. Uh, yeah. This is after spending two and a half hours being very polite on a Brighton podcast on Friday evening as well that you got me to do. Thank you very much. Um, it's good. They love you down there in that Brighton podcast. My word. They uh, love you now as well. They will do for a, for the moment, at least, at least until the next game. It made me laugh very much because they referred to Sellers Park as Smellhurst Park, which I thought... Was was very good work for for four middle aged men. Well done, boys. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's questions day, Kieran. Um, but we do have a couple of news stories. Uh, one of which is very intriguing and slightly petty, and one of which is possibly one of my favourite stories of the the season so far. Uh, the Premier League uh, deal with the Middle East has collapsed. Is that the right word? Or no, renewed. That's it. I knew it was one or the other. I knew it had either gone really badly or really well. Renewed, that's it. <laughs> yes, um, and there's there's a bit of a tail on this one because, mm. I mean, the good news from the Premier League's point of view is that by all accounts, uh, Bayin have uh, renewed the fee for the next three years. So, yeah, we had seen the Chinese fee collapse for the Premier League rights. So this covers the period uh, 2022 to 25. So that gives the Premier League some certainty. Uh, it's it, it's decent money. Um, and it covers the Middle East and North Africa. So it covers around about 40 countries. Um, the vote took place on Thursday and 19 clubs voted in favour and one club voted against. Now, what club do you think might have a bit of a beef with Qatar, um, or Qatar, even? Qatar and- <laughs> <laughs> is great. I, don't mind yes. I was I was still wondering whether you pronounced Bayin correctly, because 
it's a very it's a very short word, but you seem to get corrected every time you mention you, whatever you pronounce it. Someone says it's not that, but Qatar. It, that's Bayern's long gone. I, I should. <laughs> That's cheering. Even even at quarter to nine on a, on a Sunday morning, that's made me laugh. Okay, well done. No one's ever done that before. That's brilliant. So, well, um, yeah, so, to, to answer your question, I'm, I'm I'm going to guess it would have to be Newcastle. I guess is it? That's right, My, Mystic Kevin, as as yeah. you'll now be known on the podcast. Uh, yeah, New, Newcastle voted against, and, and clearly this is linked to the ongoing issues with regard to the takeover um, at St. James's Park. Uh, the deal, I understand, is not dead. Um, and clearly, I think what Newcastle wanted to do is that they, they knew that they were they were not going to be successful in, in defeating the uh, the proposal, but uh, that they still want to show the, uh, the Saudi authorities that they are uh, keen. Um, it, it does look as if things on a diplomatic level might be improving slightly in the Middle East. Um, we, we still have a position where uh, Bayin or Bein, I've forgotten now, um, <laughs> they they are officially banned in Saudi Arabia, which is one of the biggest Middle East markets. So uh, the Premier League have tried to make progress on that, but have failed to do so, mainly due to the fact that our our friends with silver tongues, um, whenever the Premier League phone up and say uh, anything you can do about this, this alleged piracy issue being sponsored by the Saudi authorities, they immediately put the phone down um, on the Premier League. So, so they're not unable to pursue things any further. So you think it's, it's a fairly simple conclusion to draw, Kieran, that Newcastle uh, have have done this. They they abstained or voted against for geopolitical reasons rather than for any concern about the financial implications of the deal. Then, yeah, it, it's it's a good deal. Uh, yeah, at, at a time when we're seeing deals around the world collapse uh, in in other countries and uh, in in other markets, uh, yes, th- this this is very much tied into the uh, changing of the guards or the prospective changing of the guards. Uh, at Newcastle itself, so so that the Mike Ashley and 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 yeah, you know, I, th- I think we'd probably do the same. It was our club. Yeah, you know, if, you, if you're wanting to move yeah. the club on, you've got a prospective uh, new, new partner, new new owner. Um, why upset them by by voting for something which is going to be uh, against their wishes? Yeah, and now to uh, a lovely story, Kieran, but one I suspect that the princes in Saudi Arabia would disapprove of. Yes, uh, Stevenage. Uh, St- Stevenage is women's team. Um, I think the men's team are sponsored by Burger King, and uh, the women's team are getting special logos which says uh, Burger Queen on them, which which is nice. Al- although my my recollection of uh, gay parties from the early ni- oh, from the early eighties in Brighton, Burger Queen has a completely different meaning. Um, so I hope uh, people don't go around googling uh, this particular phrase because they're, they're, they're their eyebrows might fall off their heads um, as a result of that. It's, it astonishes me, Kieran. You, it was a lovely story, and then suddenly, well, it's us, for those who are fans of the Burger Queen, it still is a lovely story. Um, <laughs> there's probably quite a few people now wistfully thinking back to the good old days. And I'll, I'll, let's draw their attention back to 2020 and questions on price of football. Stop thinking about gay clubs in Brighton in the early 80s. Uh, how do you do it, Kieran? Um, 
No, no, don't answer. That's not. I'm not answering that. It's not a question I'm asking. But I know. I know. I won't tell you how to do the burger. Queen, I don't no. have to do that. I don't have to Google it. I didn't. I, I meant how do you manage to turn every story into a nostalgic burger fest? Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, this is not. It doesn't go out on Sunday morning. That's fine. It goes out on Mondays. It's all good. Sorry, God. Uh, Jason Higgins <laughs> has a question that combines two of our favourite themes recently. Um, when Ben Godfrey signed for Everton from Norwich, says Jason, the fee was undisclosed, but it was rumoured to be around twenty to twenty-five million pounds. Does this mean that fans of York City, his first club, are never likely to find out the true amount they will receive as a sell-on fee? As McGill, the owner, uh, has never been transparent with York fans as what the actual sell-on fee was. It's rumoured to be. 10%. So there's a lot of rumours and a lot of arounds in that. But it, as I say, it combines undisclosed fees and sell-on fees, which we've been talking about a lot recently. And this is a, a new question that hasn't been asked before, that which is um, autology, obviously. Yes. Uh, I, I think this will be tricky. I, mean, I, I don't know whether the, the York City supporters group, whether they own some of the shares. I, I did some background into uh, York City Football Club. Now, now the owner, Jason McGill, he owns 75% of the club, which means that, that it could be that uh, there are other shareholders who will get a full set of the accounts because York City only, uh, only publishes at Companies House what we refer to as abbreviated accounts. As you know, I'm completely against those in, in terms of football clubs because of their uh, important uh, status with it within communities. But that, that's where we are. So all that we know is that, uh, that uh, York City historically have lost quite a lot of money. This guy, Jason McGill, uh, the good news is, is that he has, uh, you know, he has funded the club. The club owe him around about eight million pounds. So, yeah, that seems, might seem fairly generous, fairly, fairly generous. I then, Went into the back pages, um, which, uh, as you know, I, I, I love a delve. Um, and uh, it turns out that uh, in, in the last year, uh, he charged them six hundred and forty grand in interest. Mm. Now, for a club which is non-league, yeah, that's going to be one of their biggest costs. Um, and and the loan, uh, yeah, part of the loan, he was charging interest at eleven percent, which I think is pretty obscene. Mm. Uh, so he, he's not as benevolent uh, as he might make himself out to be. In terms of this sell-on fee, if somebody does manage to get hold of a full set of accounts. Um, then we should be able to work out, yeah, sort of do a bit of extrapolation, triangulation um, from some of the numbers to get a broad indication of the of the fee involved, because it would have to be uh, either embedded into a bigger number and, and we can subtract it out, or um, it, it might actually be disclosed on the income statement itself. You see, this is still something a year into this pod, Kieran, even longer than that now. I don't quite firmly get a grip on this idea that he lends the club six million pounds as you say and he takes six hundred and fifty thousand pounds isn't he he's just circulating his own money isn't he um well it's it's more than that because in theory if he does sell the club uh, he will get his his loans repaid from a prospective new owner and on top of that he'll have made the interest money as well so it's like any loan from from a lender you know how, how do they make money they they get their capital repaid in due course 
um, and uh, they, they make interest on top of that. And and the higher the risk, the higher the rate of interest. But it, you know, eleven percent. It's not on the whole loan, but you know, eleven percent these days uh, is uh, is pretty pretty stiff, especially when you look at the the likes of Spurs and, and the Football Association yeah. borrowing at half a percent from yeah. from the Bank of England. Okay, Neil Thomas. Uh, I, I quite like the cut of Neil's jib. I think there's a certain element of cynicism in Neil's uh, jib that I probably would quite admire. Neil says that over the past year, I've read a lot of transfer reports that use phrases like personal terms agreed, all that remains is for the club to settle on a fee um, before a fee a deal is done. Um, Tiago, for example. Uh, didn't this used to be considered tapping up? Uh, the cynic in me knows it's always happened, but I'm sure that publishing such a suggestion used to be a serious allegation. Did I miss a rule change or have the authorities just stopped caring? Uh, no, no, it, it is still illegal uh, as far as the rules are concerned because the, the player's registration is held by the existing club. And it, it's not that long ago that uh, Liverpool uh, were accused by Southampton of trying to tap up Virgil van Dijk. And Southampton said, we're going to take this further. Um, and as a result of that, Liverpool backed out of any further communication and the deal then went through you know six to 12 months later um so the, the formal position is that tapping up is still illegal um if, if we talk to our yeah you know, we, we, we we've got to know you know, a few people at clubs in in different roles and we've also spoken to agents um the, the first thing to establish is is the player interested in a move so you know that tends to go through an informal route. It could be agent to agent. Uh, it could be uh, it could be a, even a player is is uh, yeah a player at the prospective buying club who might know the the other player from uh, you know playing in the same international team or things of this nature. You know fo- football is a very small industry, um, and uh, you know WhatsApp is our friend because WhatsApp is encrypted, so it's actually very difficult to get hold of, of proof of of tapping up. But the the, the official position is that it is uh, illegal. Um, a club owns a player's registration um, until they they decide to sell it on. And if anybody interferes with that process, then potentially they are uh, subject to sanctions from the football authorities. Neil has a fair point, though, because I mean, you you read virtually every day in the tabloids phrases like this that imply. That you know, personal terms are agreed. The deal is done. The clubs have to settle on a fee, and quite often, weeks, months before a deal is done, and then that deal is done. So, obviously, like you say, football is a small world, and it's a gossipy one. But clearly, the newspapers have no compunction about. Well, I was going to say publishing, you know, half truths, but we know that to be the case. But it's it, it does seem like it's a rule that's kind of obeyed more in the beach and the observers, doesn't it? Uh, yes, I, I agree with you entirely. I mean, if you take a look at every story in the newspapers, you, you kiss a lot of frogs before you you yeah. actually make a signing. Um, in terms of the, the constant rumours of interest, just because a player, just because a club sends a scout to watch a match, um, which they're doing all the time, and, and and that's what they should be doing, you know, because they are looking for player recruitment, doesn't mean that doesn't mean that they've gone as far as establishing contact between either at boardroom to boardroom level or with the player himself. So, um, I, I think we have to take what we see in the newspapers with with a, a large degree of salt, because you know, the newspapers know that transfer rumours 
uh, sell. Yeah, that, that, and and you know, and, and they're desperate to sell copy at present, as always, which is which is fully understandable. Um, you know, I think a classic case is is the Jaden Sancho uh, deal. Yeah, um, you know, Willie won't he ha- have personal terms been been agreed? Well, you know, informally they will have been. Uh, you know, some, somebody will have found out how much he's on. Manchester United will say will have put a yeah. Well, this is what we're prepared to pay. Not that we're looking to sign a player, but a player of. Jaden Sancho's stature would be expected to be on such and such, and, yeah, and that yeah. word gets around. All, all of the numbers we see quoted in the press are one thing. If you and, and yeah, we had this discussion the other day. We know that agents gossip to each other, and they're inclined to embellish. Mm. But there's there, there tends to be a, a bit more of a grain of truth in some of the stuff that they come out with. Mm. Uh, I'm leaving a small pause here, Kieran, in case you do have a story about kissing South American frogs. A party, some stage in the other, but clearly not. So let's move on. Uh, Jamie Moss has asked uh, a simple question, but it's an interesting one. Jamie Moss's question is: Premier League clubs shelled out one point two billion pounds on transfer fees in the summer transfer window. How long could you keep EFL clubs going for with that much money? Well, I mean, the simple answer is, according to my figures, clubs in the EFL generated £248 million in uh, matchday ticket sales. So so that would give us around about 4.8 years. However, um, you know, we talk about the Premier League spending £1.2 billion, but where is that money actually gone? Well, you know, Ollie Watkins was at Brentford. Nathan Ake was oh, at yeah, uh, Bournemouth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Godfrey Norwich. Yeah, uh, Eze, yeah, who yeah, you signed, yeah, who's a cracking player. He's come from Brentford. Yeah. Callum Wilson, GPR. again, Bournemouth. So yeah, okay, the, 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 the Premier League has probably already spent, you know, the thick end of 150 to £200 million pounds, um, in money going to the EFL. On top of that, of course, you've got parachute payments. And then we've got these things called... Uh, solidarity payments. So there is a lot of money flowing from the Premier League already to the EFL, except the you know the one point two billion pounds. It's it, you know it's it's a nice headline figure, mm. um, and, and it's easy to to beat the Premier League around around the head with it. Um, but if if you think about it, if somebody spent one point two billion pounds, somebody's got to have received one point two billion pounds as well, and the EFL are amongst the recipients. Mm, okay. Uh, our next question comes from Mylia Moses. Uh, my apologies, Mylia, if I pronounce that incorrectly. Uh, and if I did, I just did it twice. So I apologize again. Um, but Mylia, third time, Moses, has a follow up question to last week's discussion about Swansea. And the question is Can you explain the situation regarding the change in directors at the club? Do these changes have anything to do with the convertible loan received from Jake Silverstein, who was appointed as a director a few months ago? Um, trying to get to the bottom of this is is tricky. And I think probably the best people to, to speak to here would be Swansea City Supporters Trust, though I think they've been knocked back on a few occasions. For those people not familiar with the story... Um, Swansea City were effectively controlled by two Americans, one of whom was called Stephen Kaplan. In fact, he still is called Stephen Kaplan, I suspect. Um, And uh, he had control of the club. Now, control means that you have more than 50% of the shares, so from from a legal position. Um, And then in August, a document was lodged at Company's House from a company controlled by a, an American guy called Jake Silverstein. And um, 
this loan, um, which which took place in August, had what we refer to as convertible uh, loan status, mm. which means that at, at the point in time, um, those those loans could either be repaid or alternatively, they could be converted into shares. Mm. Now, in October, uh, more documents came out, which said that, that Stephen Kaplan had now lost control. And I think this is what, uh, you know, uh, Myla what was sort of suggesting, does that mean that at that point in time, Jake Silverstein converted his loan into shares? And as a result of that, um, the, the the shareholding of Steve Kaplan fell below 50%. Now, at the same time in October, um, Steve Kaplan ceased to be a director of Swansea. So does this mean that he's lost interest in the club? Um, Jake Silverstein, is he now taking more of a, a day-to-day involvement? Um, it, it's it's very difficult to get to the bottom of this because Steve Kaplan's investment comes from an American company registered in the state of Delaware. Now, if anybody is familiar with Delaware, it's the American equivalent of the British Virgin Islands or somewhere of that nature, i.e. very, very relaxed uh, corporate governance rules and trying to work out who owns what and who is the power behind the throne is very difficult. So so unfortunately, we're, we're probably none the wiser. Uh, I mean, it might be an idea if uh, if we try to get Swansea City Supporters Trust to come on the show, and they, they might be able to give us a, a bit more transparency. And also, I like them because they do an absolutely fantastic job down there. Um, you know, as as a as a fan owned club, but I know that they have been they felt uncomfortable about uh, what was happening over the course of the summer. Um, they they were big fans of Trevor Birch, uh, who was the the former chief exec there, but he then of course left in early September to go to Spurs, mm. and he's now left Spurs to go to be the, the chief executive of the EFL. So I, I think they've they potentially lost somebody who was. Uh, willing to listen to their their comments and, and was willing to stand up for them. So, yeah, it's it's concerning, uh, the position in uh, in Swansea. And as always, we've said, if, if clubs are transparent, you, you, can, you can stop an awful lot of people worrying. And the people don't understand why we as football clubs worry about our football clubs. It's, it's because it is so central to our lives. And, uh, you know, you, you, people, people that don't get football don't get our love and affection. But, you know, uh, you know Swansea have had problems in terms of administration issues and things of that historically. So you can understand the fans' perspective in in being wary about any change of ownership, especially where the new owners are not being up front all the time. Yeah, I think we should probably take this opportunity to show a bit of affection to Trevor Birch as well. As a couple of weeks ago, we were quite scathing about the recruitment process that saw Trevor Birch get his new post. Um, and perhaps we should have separated that from the man himself because we had several people who got in touch with us to say that Trevor is a very, very good person and very good administrator. So uh, sorry about that, Trevor, if you're listening. Uh, and if you are, thank you very much. Don't forget to subscribe. Um, um, hopefully you're manscaping like the rest of us. Um, and if Guy's listening as well, yes, let's see if we can get somebody from the Swansea City Supporters Trust. Um, does does Guy listen to the show? I don't know. I don't think he listens to the Monday ones for some. There's always a, there's he seems to do about twelve school runs a day, which keep him. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what else he does, but it's nearly always whatever time we try and get hold of him, he's on some sort of 
school run or running from a school. I, I don't know. As, as we've established. <laughs> That's a different, Guy. It's very different. Oh, that is different. Yeah, the, we've established that the only thing we can establish about Guy is that he is a man of mystery. Um, that's the, <laughs> uh, the no stories from him about anywhere in the world that he's been to. Um, never mind. Uh, I, I doubt if this bit will even go out. I oh, know he doesn't listen, so of course it will. Um, <laughs> Sarah Warren has, uh, I, I think, a very interesting question, and it's one of those questions that you you kind of think I should have asked that, and I've been saying that a lot recently, which implies that I should be doing a lot more research than I do. Sarah Warren says, I'm interested to learn more about how club sponsors work, specifically around Stoke City being sponsored by Bet365, which is also owned by the Coates family who own the club. Is it more financially beneficial for club owners to be sponsored by their own company? Uh, And if so, why don't more owners do it? Or is it a case of higher exposure marketing perspective that they want to tap into using the club? Well, uh, in, in answer to Sarah's question, it can be more beneficial if the owner is able to provide um, financial support for, from a financial fair play point of view. So if, if we take a look at the position at Stoke, I, I went again into the um, I- into the small print of Stoke's accounts, and they said that they had £4 million worth of sales in 2019 when the club was in the championship from um, a, a companies under common ownership, i.e. Bet365-related companies. Mm-hmm. Now, would you normally expect to get £4 million worth of sales and sponsorship if you're a championship club? Well, my my gut feeling, um, and again, having done a bit of research, is that you know a, a front of shirt sponsorship deal in the in the championship. If you're getting half a million pounds, it's actually quite a decent sum of money. So if if uh, if uh, Stoke are getting you know four million, and that will include, of course, the stadium sponsorship and the shirt sponsorship and other bits and pieces as well, then that's that's a, that's a good way of getting extra money into the club that counts towards financial fair play. Um, and we have seen some issues. Of course, if we go back to the the infamous Manchester City case against UEFA, where um, Manchester City were being sponsored by Etihad. Um, the Etihad deal was initially worth three hundred and fifty million pounds over ten years, and that was signed. Was it two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten? So that at the time seemed quite high. Um, so it is a way of getting additional money into the club, which potentially can count towards um, financial fair play. In theory, this has got to be what uh, the accountants refer to as fair value. But the trouble is, nobody knows what fair value is. It's, you know, it's a bit like, you know, how do you value a Picasso? How do you value uh, you know, a, a castle? Uh, how do you, so how do you value a front of shirt sponsorship deal if you are Manchester City? Because you can say, well, Manchester, Manchester United are earning more, but they're Manchester United. They've got a bigger fan base, but, but you know, is, should they be getting more than Everton? It, it's actually trying to come up with a definitive figure, which is deemed to be fair. Um, but we have seen uh, you know, Leicester. Uh, Leicester have been sponsored by King Power quite often, uh, and clearly it's the King Power Stadium, and that's their owners. Um, even Scunthorpe. Uh, Scunthorpe are, are sponsored by the Sands Venue, mm. which is a nightclub in Blackpool. No, oh, oh. <laughs> <Which, What? again, laughs> That's got our attention, yeah. 
Um, I suspect it's not the same as French's, though, uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, because a, it's uh, it's not in uh, it's it's not it's not in administration, um, and b, uh, I, I can't think of anything more depressing than than Frenchies in the in the late eighties. It was a really grim experience. Yeah, um, and c, it hasn't been burned down for the insurance money. <laughs> that's correct. Yes, yeah. I, I, um, sorry, I thought the the cliche about value and defining value is always it's something is worth what somebody else is willing to pay for it. It's what somebody is willing to pay with it at arm's length. Now, oh, can you see that we're back to Frenchies again, aren't we? <laughs> yes, very much. You very much got um, a discount for arm's length, I understand. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's, it's a bit like if, uh, yeah, I remember when my kids were small and they, 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 yeah, they do a drawing, they come, someone comes to me and say, yeah, how much is that worth, Dan? And so I'll, I'll give you a pound for it. Probably, probably wasn't worth a pound, if, if truth be told, Kevin. But that wasn't an arm's length transaction. Um, so so oh, if, if, you, if, if the two parties are connected, um, it, was quite, it, was, it was quite quite enterprising, my son. I'm, uh, I'm sorry, I just love the fact that, that an accountant's children, that's how, they, that's how they communicate with Daddy. How much is this worth, Daddy? Oh. Well, seasonally adjusted, son. Uh, <laughs> the following day, there'd be 30, 30, 30 drawings he'd done. <laughs> it was worth a pound yesterday, Dad. It's got to be worth 30. But I go, what? what? Yeah, he's drawing, he's drawing the, putting the price down, then he's a fool to himself because he's, yeah. he needs to be creating scarcity, not putting more on the market. He's flooded the market there, isn't he? Yeah. He's, he's not going to be Banksy, that's for sure. <laughs> um. So, so that's where, where we are. Uh, the benefits are that the deals tend to be at the upper end of the price spectrum. Mm. And if you get it just right, it means that um, you probably won't get a charge from the Premier League or the EFL. It's a bit like uh, uh, Derby County selling their ground oh. freight. <laughs> Sorry, bingo. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know who else. You know, if, if, if Pride Park was worth £81 million because that was the best offer they got, I, I'm, I'm intrigued as to what the second best offer would have been. I'll say no more than that. Um, so so that's where we are. Uh, you know, tr- trying to get uh, – you're absolutely right. It's what somebody is prepared to pay. But when, if, when you're effectively selling to yourself, things become more complex. Do you know, I, I think somewhere, you know, like New Zealand or Malaysia, when we get to the final of the New Zealand or Malaysia, who wants to be a millionaire? And the final question to win a million dollars in New Zealand or Malaysia is, how much is Pride Park worth? <laughs> and one lucky person who happens to be a listener, and people will be going, he knew it was worth 81 million quid. It's like, yes, because he heard it every single week on Pride of Football. No matter how much we have the pep talk before recording, saying, no, not this week. Um, our next question comes from somebody whose surname I always love to pronounce because it was my mother's maiden name, God rest her soul, Ian McLaughlin. And Ian McLaughlin's question is, how can clubs create retro versions of kits to sell again using the shirt sponsors of the time? I, so, for example, you can get the Palace shirt with Virgin written on it, but you can't not necessarily using the kit manufacturer of the time, which I think is a really good question. Um, Ian says, I understand that Nike or Adidas wouldn't be happy with someone else producing a product with their brand on. So how can sponsors be? Um, Well, I think from the sponsor's perspective, all publicity is good publicity. And also remember, they are not having to pay for the privilege of having their name on that shirt. 
uh, whereas under normal circumstances, that, that, that would be the case. So um, what would normally happen is the club would contact the sponsor. That's, that's if they still exist. Right. Because um, I, I remember when, when Brighton, we were uh, sponsored by Nobbo. Oh, I remember that. Don't you worry. I, I'm sure all Palace fans remember that. And, you know, because you know, Palace fans used to say there's, there's a couple of Fs missing at the end of that one. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, we, we still now produce those as retro shirts and British Caledonian. So, so many companies are no longer in existence. So therefore, there is no intellectual property issues. If, if the company is still in existence, what would normally happen would be that the club would contact the company and say, informally, this is what we're planning to do. We're not going to ask you for any money, but you are getting effectively free publicity from this. Do you have any objection? Now, it could be that some companies might object, but there's no logical reason for them to do so on, on the grounds that you know all marketing, especially free marketing, is, is good marketing. So there, there are benefits uh, in, in taking that approach for all the parties involved. The clubs make more money. Um, as far as the manufacturers are concerned, the manufacturers uh, sign a deal with a football club, which gives them the rights to uh, be that kit, be the kit manufacturer for a fixed period of time. So, therefore, you know, if Adidas. You know, when they formally made Palace's kit, they, they wouldn't be able to sell it now because that would be a, a conflict. They no longer have the rights to do so. So that's why the, the sponsors are okay with it, but the manufacturers aren't. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to Notion.com slash Price of Football. That's all lowercase letters, Notion.com slash Price of Football, and start turning ideas into action. That's Notion.com slash Price of Football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is the show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Well, you say the sponsors are okay, but how would American Express feel, for example, if they're if they're wandering around the club shop at Brighton and half the shirts that are being sold in there have Nobbo or British Caledonian written on the front, the retro shirts? Um, I don't think that they see it as a market that's that's cannibalising itself because right. if you take a look at uh, shirt sales, um, fans like to have this year's kit 
And then on top of that, they might get as a Christmas present a kit from from yesteryear because yeah, that's the way the fan is. You know, they they remember that particular season because you know, of a good cup run or their favourite player wore that shirt or so on. So um, normally it, it's done with sponsors from you know. 20 or 30 years ago um, and they're not seen as competing for the same for the same pound um it's it's an addition it's a complement to buying this year's shirt um, rather than a substitute yeah of course the problem with your shirts is not the it's not the logo is it's not the sponsors it's that bedraggled little bird that ruins the corner of it whatever color it is This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by Manscaped, providers of the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Now, Kieran, as regular listeners will know, this sort of thing isn't my bag, but it is yours, and I've just realised that isn't my bag possibly wasn't the most appropriate introduction I could have given you. Well, Kevin, I like smooth operator by Sade. I like smooth talking when I'm with the Baroness. And to add to that list... I'm now talking smooth down below the waist, thanks to the the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 electric trimmer. Um, I was a little bit nervous before using it. I'll be the first to admit that, but it's got it's got a it's got a ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. Um, it keeps things uh, safe. You don't get any unexpected nicks down there, and it's a premium product. Uh, the battery will last up to 90 minutes, so you can take your time down below. Um, which is a piece of advice I was given when I was 16. Um, now, that's uh, that's the deal, Kevin, but we've also got a benefit for listeners to the price of football. We do, we do, and I, I feel obliged to say that it not only prevents nicks, it prevents snags and tugs as well, so neither of those things are what you want. But if you want to get your sack in shape for Christmas, get 20% off and free shipping with the code priceoffootball at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com with the code priceoffootball. And don't forget to linger down below. Kieran, I know you're you're a very big fan of the whole manscaping thing, but surely this weather you need a little bit of a little bit of growth down there. Don't you feel the chill after lawnmowering your privates? No, 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 because because they also supply us, of course, with the uh, testicle deodorant, and uh, and and that's so much easier to put on to uh, to a smooth set of nads, <laughs> and it keeps you warm as well, does it? That's right. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a bit like deep heat. It works, <laughs> Kieran. If you're no, never mind. I was about to say, don't put it next to the deep heat on the, the bathroom shelf. <laughs> but there you are. Um, uh, Andrew Hebditch, save us from this tawdry discussion with a question. Um, oh, he has done. Andrew Hebditch has his question. And <laughs> Andrew says, my question relates to FFP. Oh, 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 dear. Um, clubs can gamble, and if they get promoted, they can avoid any penalties for overstepping the limits. Why then does the EPL and the EFL dovetail the penalties? From the EPL perspective, the current clubs would be trying to stop strong clubs being promoted. From the EFL perspective, if clubs know they can't escape a penalty if they're promoted, there'll be less inclination to gamble big. Points penalties would be better, as that can almost certainly guarantee an immediate return. So what stops the EFL and the EPL agreeing this? Well, there is now an agreement between the two institutions in terms of fines. So 
if a club uh, abuses financial fair play, exceeds the limits, and the EFL imposes a fine, the Premier League now said that that must be paid. However, the Premier League is not willing to impose points deductions decided by an EFL commission because they feel that that would have a negative impact upon the, the competitive nature of the Premier League. So if, if, a, if a club got, got promoted and then started on minus 12 points, then they're, they're effectively relegated before the start of the season. You know, it, it's tough enough to stay yeah. up as it is. So that's, that's the agreement that is presently in place. Now, in order to try to prevent clubs uh, just spending as if money didn't exist, gambling on getting promoted and therefore waving bye-bye to the EFL and paying the fine the next year, uh, my understanding is that the the clubs in the championship now have to submit uh, budgets on, on a regular basis to the EFL. And in theory... Um, those budgets uh, will be monitored by the EFL, which could in, could impose points deductions during the season. Now, I think that's going to be quite a challenging operation. We, we've seen in respect of what's happened with Sheffield Wednesday that their issues took place in 2018. Um, the points deduction was eventually imposed for 2020-21, and then partway through 2021, it was then reduced. So um, I would imagine that if the EFL did try to impose a points deduction, and realistically, they, they wouldn't be getting the budgets until you know, the second half of the year, um, our silver tongue friends would be using delaying tactics to ensure that uh, no decision was made before the end of the season. Their client therefore gets up to the Premier League, and any subsequent points deductions would could only therefore apply when they when they were uh, relegated or if they were relegated back to the EFL. So it's it, it's it's a murky one, and and it's very challenging for the, the football authorities themselves who who want to prevent clubs from un, um, overspending, but enforcing it, mm. um, it is, is the big challenge. Caleb Coolman um, asked a question about something we have discussed before, but I'm very happy to ask it again just so I can finally get a handle on what seems to be a simple issue, but it's deceptively confusing for idiots like me. So Caleb Coleman's question, in the EFL this season, you can purchase the live stream to one game for £10. How does that get split up? What percentage goes to the league and to the home and away team? Right. Well, first of all, I'd like to apologise to the EFL club owner uh, that I phoned at seven o'clock this morning to, to just <laughs> confirm the numbers. Um, what are you thinking? Well, I've been up for I've been up since five researching, so I thought, I, 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 oh fuck! Yeah, yeah. You're you're, yeah. you're a one-off, Kieran. The, the rest of us don't march to the same beat of the drum as you do, Kieran. What, I can't imagine any EFL club owner who just literally went to bed last night thinking, "Oh my God, we're in tier four. What do we do?" Oh, the phone's going, darling. I hope it's nothing serious. It could be your mother. I don't know whose number this is. I imagine it's a blocked number now. It's oh, hello, it's Kieran here. What? <laughs> well, I've been up since five. I don't see why you shouldn't be up since five to ask. To answer. Oh, Caleb Coleman's got a question about the <laughs> hell. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was a brief discussion. I have to be, have to be <laughs> said. You, you, uh, you're, you're perfect for Christmas, Kieran, because you are the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, carry on. <laughs> so, uh, well, the, the position is is that uh, normally you'd have twenty percent going on VAT, uh, 
the EFL used to keep 20%, but my understanding is that because they want as much money to go to clubs as possible, that that's effectively been waived. Um, so in terms of the money, um, any I follow, uh, whatever you call them, patches, no, well, any any of the I, I, I follow purchases made by fans of the home club or sold by the home club, that money goes to the home club itself, uh, excluding VAT. Right. When it comes to the away fans, what they try to do is to say, well, how many away fans would we expect to attend the match? So if it was uh, you know, Cambridge going to Accrington, uh, if they'd expect say 400 fans to attend then um the the first 400 uh, sold by cambridge as the away team they would go back to the home team because normally of course the home team keeps all the gate receipts yeah. and then the excess is kept by the away club uh so trying to work out these figures accurately i, I think is is quite a challenge but yeah that's yeah, that's down to the the two clubs involved, and if they can't agree, then I think the EFL would would probably act as arbiter on that. Um, so you know, it, it's it's not great. You know, you, you knock off twenty percent VAT, and you're down to just over eight quid. Um, you, you've got to sell an awful lot of passes uh, at, at eight quid a pop to to make money. Yeah, I'll ask you to explain VAT one day because again, it always seems to me like the club owner lending his club money just seems to be a circular way of passing your own money around. But when you you say that they would calculate the number of away fans at each game, as using that Accrington Cambridge as an example, if it was a midweek game, presumably they would calculate far fewer Cambridge fans than they would if it was a Saturday game. Yes, yes, I think think there are. uh, I mean. One of the things we have noted in in recent years is that attendances at EFL matches uh, for midweek games is uh, is noticeably lower than for Saturdays. Now yeah, that could be on the fact that there's people at work. Clearly, the away fans it's more of a struggle. You've got kids at school and their parents might not want them to go. But also, it, it's because it clashes with Champions League matches, um, and oh, and that yes. has uh, that has been an issue. And again, going on to discussions we've had previously with regards to an expanded form of senior European competition. This is implications for clubs in the EFL because there's going to be more midweek matches taking place, which mm. means more Tuesdays where you're going to end up with lower crowds. It's interesting that, Kieran. I think we probably have mentioned this before, but it, it kind of vindicates the Football League back in the 60s and 70s, really, who refused to even allow the BBC or ITV to announce what highlights were being shown that evening until five o'clock in case it impacted on the on the crowds at, at those games and always refused to allow games to be live when when Division 3 and Division 4 games were going on. And they probably had a bit more foresight than we gave them credit for at the time if it does have that impact on attendances in League 1, League 2, isn't it? Yes, yes. I mean, it, it, it's certainly going to hit those clubs. I mean, the, the, the Premier League will argue that they do give solidarity payments to clubs in League One and League Two, and and that helps to make up for the fact that there there will be clashes. Um, I, I, and clearly, we, we can't establish the impact of matches taking place at 
3 p.m., which are now being broadcast live by by BT or or Sky or Amazon, uh, you know, does that impact upon the number of iFollow passes that mm-hmm. are being sold? Because mm-hmm. effectively, you're getting the, the the match for free from the Premier League if you've got an existing uh, uh, signage, existing subscription to one of the main broadcasters. Uh, but it's, it's certainly not going to increase the number of passes that are being sold mm-hmm. uh, by the EFL clubs. Now, Mark Ridley has asked our next question. I've never met Mark, but I'm guessing that Mark is a, a no-nonsense kind of guy. I'm, as you know, Kieran, I sometimes like to amuse myself when I'm, I'm writing the questions down that guys sent through by picturing the people who've written the questions in, in my head. And this is such a no-nonsense question. I, I can only picture Mark as being from North Yorkshire, basically. Probably, probably some kind of hill farmer, doesn't want to waste words, gets straight to the nub, and basically, Mark Ridley says, how much do football clubs pay in a year for their utilities like electricity and water? That wasn't, um, that wasn't a North Yorkshire accent, by the way. I just thought I'd do it, <laughs> I thought I'd do it in a voice to you know, distinguish from my own voice. But slightly, it's, slightly rough. But it's my, but it's my favourite. I think it's probably my favourite question of the season. How much do football clubs pay for, the, for their electricity then? Eh? Well, um, we, we've always said, myself and Kevin, uh, that size doesn't matter. But, but yeah, when you, it comes, you, you say that, Kevin. We're probably the only two people in the world who say that, by the way. <laughs> um, but when it comes to utility bills, it, it does. Yeah. So um, it, it, it will depend upon the facilities. Um, the, the clubs don't break these down in, in their financial statements. I, I have been through uh, a few clubs that are more detailed than others. But even so, they, they sort of say sort of general you know, uh, stadium overheads and things of this nature. So I, I can't give a definitive figure, but it will, of course, be impacted upon a the size of the stadium, um, but also the nature of the relationship between the club and the stadium. Is it owned or is it rented? It could be if it's rented. Does it include uh, utility costs and things of this nature? Um, so unfortunately, Mark, I can't give you a definitive answer because there isn't one. Oh, uh, the right. clubs don't don't disclose that information, and it will vary considerably from club to club. Um, I, I do have the detailed figures from one club, but out of uh, professional courtesy, I don't think it would be appropriate for me to reveal them. Is it Brighton? No. Okay. Should we should we go through the whole lot, see if I can make you crash? <laughs> uh, is, it, is it Mansfield? Um, it's, it's not Derby. Oh, oh, thank God for that. So the, the West Ham deal, for example, so it's possible that the, that deal could be that the – uh, West Ham don't pay for the, the gas and electricity and water then that the company they rent the stadium from. Or, or the- yeah, the, the, there's an awful lot of things that West Ham don't pay for in that deal. You know, they don't pay for the corner flags, for example. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah, it, it, it is. It, it's it's a very well negotiated deal on behalf of West Ham. Um, and, and I'm for I'm sure that yourself as a uh, as a person who is living in London is absolutely delighted on their behalf. Uh, yeah, let's not go down there because it, it inevitably leads to tweets. Um, Matt Ford, uh, unfortunately, I don't think it's the Matt Ford who's my dear friend who does the voices for Spitting Image. Boris Johnson is uncanny. Is Donald Trump is uncanny. It's Keir Starmer. Could be anyone, frankly. <laughs> it's, really, it's just simply like Keir Starmer himself. <laughs> very much so. Maybe Matt. Maybe that's what Matt's working for. Maybe he's working on meta levels when it comes to. He's not. I know Matt so well. That, um, it's it's not that Matt Ford because this Matt Ford doesn't have an E at the end. Now Matt Ford's question: Arsenal were rightly pilloried for making fifty-five backroom staff redundant 
to save less than £2 million on the wage bill while spending millions on player bonuses um, and new signings, just during COVID, obviously. However, are they the only club to behave like this, or should others be getting equal criticism? Um, I think Arsenal certainly didn't help themselves by by the timing of their announcement, which was immediately after winning the the FA Cup. And, and Arsenal fans will remember that because that was probably the last time they, they did celebrate winning a match. Um, uh, this this was actually linked to changes in the way that they were running their their scouting department. Um, so that was one of the drivers uh, of of change. Now, my understanding from uh, putting ear to the ground is that there have been redundancies made at other clubs as well, um, but those redundancies have tended to be in twos and threes rather than. Uh, making 50 people redundant uh, in a single go, which which certainly did not uh, improve Arsenal's status, given that uh, their owner, Stan Kroenke, is uh, a very wealthy individual. Um, and it's similar with furlough. I think some clubs have been using the furlough scheme uh, sort of on the quiet, which which is fine. I mean, and certainly those clubs in the EFL which are using it, I'm... I fully understand the reasons for doing so and and they're perfectly valid reasons because you know, they are denied income and they don't have the benefits of a big TV deal. Um, all, all I would say, Matt, it, it's more common than we thought. Um, can't name names, but uh, yeah, our, 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 the, the way that Arsenal went about it was, you know, we, we, we have this saying here on the show, the tin ear, and it was a classic way of how not to uh, deal with something of a sensitive nature. Mm. You know, one of the things I love about football, Kieran, and of, and of course you, is that only a football fan would insult another football club by saying you haven't won anything since you won the FA Cup five months ago. That's that's what a, that's what a loser of a club you are. You've you've done nothing since you won the last FA Cup final just a few months ago. Um, our penultimate question comes from Ben Passberger. Uh, Ben's question is, are there many examples of clubs having to reduce accounts receivables and increase expenses by large amounts based on irrecoverable or doubtful debts owed to them, be it because of other clubs going bankrupt or bad owners delaying repayments? Now, I have to be honest here, Kieran and Ben. Uh, normally, when I ask a question, I have at least some grasp on what what I'm actually asking. But this one, um, I had to read several times before I got a sense of what Ben was actually asking. But obviously, you know straight away because you're the expert. Um, well, what, what we're talking about here is uh, player transfers on credit. So, you know, th- that is that is the common way these days. So, if, if you sell a player for for twenty million quid, it could be uh, you know a five million pound down payment, and then you've got three further instalments. Uh, so, so what Ben is referring to is: are there uh, are, are there examples of? Uh, situations where a club has sold a player and the buying club has not paid. Now, that has been the case, my understanding, in in Europe. And UEFA have imposed sanctions on those clubs that have failed to pay outstanding instalments on due uh, due times. Um, My big fear is that we could be entering a period where this uh, comes into the domestic game. It, it hasn't as yet. Um, but if players have been sold to clubs in France, given the collapse of the French TV deal, uh, that that's my concern. And 
if it that is the case, then we could see a domino effect. We could see something situation in the world of football to what happened in uh, two thousand and seven with the uh, with the with the global economic crash, yeah. which was all all based um, on. Uh, the the very very quick sale of toxic debt from one party to another, and eventually the music stopped, and somebody didn't pay, and and then the whole system collapsed. Um, there are checks and balances. We do have the football creditors rule and things of that nature, um, but you know, it, we have seen in the case of. Um, some clubs that have gone into administration that not all of the football debts were paid on time. And these therefore dragged out for a period of time until the administrators managed to gather together the money um, or the new owners effectively had to then uh, underwrite the the outstanding payments in, in terms of, of football debts. So uh, we're in a very precarious position at present, but Fingers crossed, nothing no, nothing major has happened in the domestic game as yet. Mm. So if, if that did happen, potentially you'd have to write off uh, money due from another club in respect of an outstanding transfer. Yeah, we'll be talking about that French TV deal collapse in a little bit more detail on our pod on Thursday because, uh, somewhat to my surprise, we are releasing a pod on Christmas Eve. It will be a slightly shorter one than Kieran, uh, than usual Kieran, because I think Guy didn't misread the tone in my voice this time, and I went, what? Really? Why? It's Christmas Eve. Um, <laughs> you'll, you'll be able to talk through your uh, your tips for roast potatoes, though. I will do, yes. I, I, I like to think of myself as a roast potato king. Uh, on, on other pods, Kieran, that would have been uh, tips for the King George on Boxing Day at Kempton, but no. <laughs> no, I like the fact now that all 40,000 people listening to this would be going, well, Christmas Eve, I wasn't going to bother, but now, if Kevin's doing his roast potato... <laughs> tips that would be lovely um uh, I, I was no i was just going to diss a, a famous uh cook uh, tv chef whose roast potato recipe i think is is terrible but um yeah mary, is, is, that, is that is that for after the show is that, no, is that no, the, mary, the showbiz revelation mary berry's roast potato who put who puts semolina on their roast potatoes Lee, what serious oh don't start me on mary berry you know roast potatoes Marmite and roast potatoes, that's the way forwards. Marmite? Oh, yeah. Marmite, peanut butter. Well, don't start me on that. That's disgusting. Marmite, roast potatoes, well, well, it's uh, it's the stuff of the gods. How can you say that Marmite is disgusting and peanut butter but not roast potatoes? Don't don't listen to him, kids. I've I've given that instruction before many times when Uncle Kieran starts (laughs) telling his stories. On the roast potatoes and Marmite, no. Uh, this is going to get mentioned in tweet reviews, isn't it? Now, our final our final question comes from somebody who I suspect may be joining you at the Amex today, Kieran, when, please God, Sheffield United get their first win of the season. Um, <laughs> uh, your Brighton friends told me in some detail the other night um, that it, it was almost inevitable that uh, Sheffield United would get their first win of the season. And they told me via a game winner, you lost... One nil to Walsall when they had two oh, men. Nine men. Yeah. yeah, not nine men. Nine men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they told me that story in some detail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the minutes must have flown. <laughs> no, they were very calm. I really, I, I very much enjoyed uh, the pod, and I, I, the, I was great being on a Brighton pod. I am gritted my teeth after about twenty minutes, but they were very uh, charming people. I enjoyed talking to them very much about uh, football and about Palace Brighton and you. 
to be perfectly honest. So oh, lordy. That's the Brighton Rocks pod. Let's give them a bit of love. The Brighton Rocks uh, podcast which is very good. Um, so that question comes from Simon Ordeva, or, or Diva, I don't know. It's a great name. Um, and it's an interesting question. Simon says, my question relates to the intellectual property rights around club nicknames. Do clubs own the rights to their nicknames? For example, Brighton and the Seagulls. I, I suspect Jonathan Livingston would have something to, to, to say about that. You, you, that's an esoteric reference for some of the more intelligent people listening. But I don't see how you can't claim intellectual rights to the word Seagulls, can you? I know, I know this was an issue for, for Liverpool trying to claim the intellectual rights to the word Liverpool. But even, even as a Palace fan, I don't think we can legitimately say that nobody else can use the word Eagles without bunging us a few quid, can we? Yeah, I don't think Don Henley be overchuffed with that either. <laughs> um, uh, it, it, the answer is it depends. Oh, okay, uh, it depends really. how unique the the phrase is. Um, so, therefore, that's why Liverpool Football Club were not able to take uh, in, claim intellectual property rights to things such as Liverpool itself, which which did seem a little bit overarching. You know, there there have been uh, other things to take place in in that fair city where I work. Um, so if it was if New, Newcastle potentially could go for the tune because yeah. it it would be fairly unique um but clubs have actually got into trouble with things this in the past i was doing some research and uh west ham had had a cease and desist order um from selling uh, foam hammers after they because timmy mallet had uh had, had claimed the rights to that. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, so if, if you've got a smart enough lawyer, they, they will try and do this. Uh, so the name Crystal Palace Football Club, clearly Palace have the rights to that because that is unique. As it goes slightly broader, if you get in first um, and you can say that there is a, a connection and there will be a public perception that the use of this phrase or wording um, is in- inextricably linked to the club itself, then you might have a case. Um, but you- you'd have to get hold of uh, an intellectual property lawyer um, and they would act on your behalf. Now, clearly, it didn't work for Liverpool. did work for Timmy Mallet. That's interesting, actually. I, I presume badges would be different, though, wouldn't they? Because they're more clearly an I- you know, identified with a particular club. Yes, yeah, and, and remember we we ran the story uh, a few weeks ago about Steve Dale trying to take yes, personal yeah, ownership yeah. of the the Berry Crest, and was the the uh, the Berry AFC Crest or you know the, the Phoenix Club um, was that too close to it? You know, so that there are issues arising in things of that nature. So I'd always advise people to to take care if they are going to, to use something, just to make sure that it hasn't been claimed by somebody else. Because you do get squatters uh, in terms of intellectual property rights, in terms of domain names, if, you, if you're uh, involved in uh, internet-related issues and, and things of that nature. Okay, that's interesting. Now, um, questions at priceoffootball.com is what you want if you need any questions answered about football. And the good news is, if you thought you were excited about the prospect of a, a pod on Christmas Eve, how do you fancy one on the Monday between Christmas and New Year and on New Year's Eve as well? Because that's what you're going to get. Um, well, you won't be going to any parties, will you? No, that's true. You won't be going to parties. And also, we are quite firmly, and I don't mind letting the 
the magic escape here. We're quite firmly recording all three of those on Wednesday, Kieran. As I, we both put our foot down. Um, or rather, I put my foot down and the Baroness put her foot down <laughs> on your behalf. Um, so we're, we're taking a, an actual 10-day break over Christmas, but we will record uh, three pods on uh, Wednesday, two of which will be questions. Uh, so any questions you have about your football club or about the financial plight of football in general, questions at priceoffootball.com. I'm going to mention Swindon Town here because I can't remember whether I mentioned the, the list of clubs uh, who have done particularly good things, whose fans have done particularly good things. I did promise to mention Swindon because they're doing some very good stuff in their community, and I can't remember if I did so the last time. So uh, if they get a second mention, it it doesn't really matter. And, uh, Kieran, I won't say I won't say Merry Christmas because I can say that on Christmas Eve, but um, Merry next couple of days. Kieran, I, I genuinely, I really do hope you enjoy your game today down there in Tier 2. I look forward to the atmosphere coming across on Sky TV. <laughs> I'll enjoy it because it's football. Like like the uh, like the guys you were chatting to the other day. I I don't expect us to win. Uh, you know, we, we have become very very morose. But for football fans, it's about being morose and miserable and expecting your club to lose all the time. As soon as you go into a rough patch, uh, you know the the gods are aligned today for Sheffield when Sheffield United's first win of the season. Uh, but it's football, and I'm going to a stadium, and I'm so so excited. Yeah, strange that Brighton fans should be morose when the media are constantly telling us that Graham Potter is the second coming and the best young coach that English football's ever seen. But isn't that odd? How dare you go? But also, they're still telling us that Sheffield United will definitely escape relegation because Chris Wilder's a genius, even though they've only got one point after after 12 games. There you are. I did like one of the lads, I can't remember, I think it might have been Pete, one of the lads on the, the Brighton podcast the other night, we were talking about the fact that we all know people who don't want to go back until they're a full stadium and they can go to the pubs. And basically he said, yeah, what what they're giving us is the worst part of the experience, the actual football game. So that's, that's right. Yeah, we can't do any of the lovely bits before or afterwards, but we have to sit through the ordeal of the 90 minutes. And even at halftime, well, there you go. That's As you say, that's in the nature of football fans. Um, stay safe, everybody. Um, I'm really, really sorry that Christmas is not going to turn out for a lot of you as well as you hoped. And we are very aware that a 20-minute podcast from us on Christmas Eve will only be of consolation to one or two of the sadder people listening to it. Um, We will be with you on Christmas Eve. Until then, stay safe and have a lovely few days. Bye. I'm for the